Hi, how's it going, everyone? And welcome to the Debutify podcast, the premier e-commerce podcast brought to you by Debutify. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and joining me today is Jimmy Kim, the CEO and co-founder of Sendlane, which is a behavior-based email and SMS marketing automation platform built for e-commerce brands. On this episode, we talk about optimizing conversion rates, his emphasis on user experience, the importance of diversity in a team, and much, much more. Here's our interview now. Jimmy, welcome to the show. Happy to have you on. Hey, thanks for having me here. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a real blast. You know, I've heard your name in conversations a few times. You're kind of a one of the figureheads of the industry, so it's it's really nice to have you on. I wanted to start right off about your company, Sendlane. Could you tell us a bit about your email and SMS marketing company? Yeah, absolutely. So, as you said, uh, Sendlane is an email and SMS marketing automation platform for e-commerce merchants. So, we help our businesses. So, our typical customer is a D 2 C store or brand or retailer uh, that sell uh, sells on like Shopify or Big Commerce or WooCommerce, one of those popular platforms, and you're selling products into the space. And what you do is with our product, we're a retention tool. And that means is we're helping you communicate with your customers, recover abandoned carts, and then help you turn those new customers into repeat buyers so you can create more LTV over the years. So it's a communication tool. So if you have a you know your favorite brand or so forth, uh, we're the middleman that sits between to help you deliver and facilitate those communications out both ways. No, that's awesome. So let's say that I'm a data-driven business, okay? Business owner more specifically, and I know how to market my company when it comes to kind of setting specific goals and achieving them, but I might struggle with the actual content or copy that that should go into my email and SMS marketing. Is now is that something that your team would be able to help me out with? No, we're that's about the only thing we don't do that okay. usually leans over to like an agency side of things. So we're the tool of the platform. We have got great recipes, we've got templates and different things that you can use to kind of speed up and get through the process, but the content is the one place that we can't help right now, obviously just because well, everyone's content differs, everyone's strategy sort of differs. So mm-hmm. ultimately, we're just going to provide everything you need in including great customer support to make sure that we can help you through it, but not. Uh, unfortunately, we don't do the content. Well, that's no sweat. There are definitely other companies that can do that. From my perspective, I've actually used some email and SMS marketing in the past. And one of the biggest problems that I've encountered with that is my emails will get stuck in a client's spam folder. Now, that's probably not the first time you've heard that. So how do you ensure that my emails go where they're supposed to go? Uh, That's such a loaded question. You know, with uh, deliverability, right? That's basically what you're asking about. And it's the age old question. It's a little bit of a black box for a lot of people because they don't just don't understand how it all works. But I'll keep it simple because there's a billion things I can tell you there. I've got master classes on this stuff and what it really takes, but I'll kind of give you the easy layman's understanding the best I can so that the the listeners here can probably understand it. Spam is very much what it sounds like, right? Unwanted email, right? That's the easiest way I explain it. And what it comes down to is three things, I think, in my opinion, that come into the balance here. Number one, it's your audience, right? If you're buying a list, you're you know scraping an old list, you've got customers from 20 years ago, you've got people that don't want your emails, unsubscribers, those people are bad data points, right? And what happens is if you think about like a cup of water, right? And you think about a cup and you've got a good cup, everyone starts with a fair cup of water. And the more bad people you send emails to, the more you're pouring that water out, giving you less reputation, right? And the more you're selling good people, your customers, your recent people that are buying from your opt-in people, uh, those are going to get you the glass filled up. So deliverability first is content-based right? Number two, it's behavior based, right? So I would, I mean, I I mean, I'm sorry. Number one is data. Number two is content based. Number two is what's the content, right? 
ultimately, no matter what communication you send out, email or SMS, they both have deliverability metrics behind them. The reality is, is the content relevant? Is it something they want? Is it something they're listening to? Are they listening? Are they clicking on it? Are they responding to it? There's a lot of different parts to how you're getting scored there, right? So that's the second part, content, right? So is your content relevant? And the third thing is behavior, right? So at all those two points, data, data and the content help drive a behavior out of them. Are they opening in the email and engaging with or are they clicking on it? And that's ultimately what happens in a big scoring cycle to make a, and this happens all in real time, of course, in, in how an email ends up in a spam box or an inbox. So it's a little confusing in that most businesses, when you're starting off, you don't even realize there's this whole existential like force that's fighting against you called the spam box that you've got to deal with. But you know, again, if you're doing the good things that you've probably read and heard from a million people and being really just good, don't buy a list, don't purchase lists. You can buy a list, just use them for your advertising. Don't use them for your email list because they didn't want an email from you or being able to make sure that you're doing the good stuff like list hygiene and making sure that you're you know, getting rid of the people that don't want to hear from you as well. You shouldn't have a problem. At least most businesses don't until they get to some type of scale and then they really hit the wall because that's when things really start to matter more and more. Long story short, I would say follow great practices. There's a billion blogs and websites out there that teach you. They're all the same. They all teach you the same thing. It's just good content, good data, you know, all those things that I just mentioned. As long as you're doing that, you will be okay. And obviously, you know, there's experts and different people out there that can help you and specialists if you're running into those problems, but it shouldn't be a huge problem up front. It's just making sure you're doing all the right things is what I say. I mean, yeah, there's a lot I can say about this for sure. I appreciate that you kind of break it down into these three boxes a little bit. I think that just yeah. makes it easier to digest. Uh, obviously, I'm not expecting like a silver bullet. There's there's never any sort of silver bullet when it comes to e-commerce solutions and stuff like that. So yeah. I appreciate being able to give it in these kind of compartments. When it comes to these lists, essentially leads, you know, I, I can come from a sales background at times. If I'm a business, how do I generate these leads yeah. safely when it comes to, I don't always think putting $500, $5,000 into someone's hand to get these data points that might be bunk at the end of the day is necessarily as lucrative as some you know, solution you might have for our audience. Yeah. When we talk about, when you talk about getting people onto your list, right? There's two pays, right? Obviously a customer, they make a purchase. They're going to get on your email list or your SMS list. That's pretty easy. The other side is what we call more of the top of the funnel or your leads, right? Your people that visit your website. Now there's different things, right? There's the pop-up, they offer a coupon, a discount, a gift. There's a newsletter opt-in that says, Hey, join our weekly newsletter. And then there's obviously anything in between there. If you've got any kind of landing pages or any opt-ins or wait lists and different things. So the best way to do marketing, especially if you're e-commerce or D2C, is that you should be an opt-in company. And that means that everything you do is they're putting their physical email address that they want to hear from you and they want to have that happen. Now, the right thing to do behind that is to make sure that those actions and triggers are doing things, right? You don't just want to collect leads and you don't want to just sit there and blast them. You've got these automated systems like Sunlane is exactly what we do here is like you go to a pop-up. And you put your email in, right? And that, or an SMS in, and instantly in your inbox or your SMS, you receive that coupon code or the newsletter, right? That's Sendlane doing its work for you, essentially, and making sure that it's getting out to the customer. But that action is probably the most important thing because you're confirming that they did want to receive that email or SMS and they're going to react to that uh, email or SMS. So that's how you grow leads in it. Now, that all starts from the top of the funnel, which is like, 
I mean, there's a million ways to grow traffic to your website. So I, mean, I know we're not here to talk about traffic, but getting traffic to your website through social or Google or Facebook or anywhere you're really thinking about investing on traffic sources to get people. So visitors that are eyes on your website, then the pop-up or the lead or the newsletter takes over to collect them. And you'll collect somewhere between three, five, 10%, maybe 20% if your uh, pop-up is good of that traffic. But those are the people that want to be more connected with you. And then that's your job to nurture them and get them over the line to the sale. And that's where Sendlane jumps in. You create automated sequences to follow up, still giving them a personalized experience, yet being able to target them with exactly what they were asking about. So that's kind of the way that I say with leads, like that's where you should be generating them, you know, with cold leads and different things, you know, it's very tempting to go out there and buy leads or get a a list that someone gave you that they say is always just like the people on your list. I mean, those are all great for like advertising. I say they're great for lookalike audiences or creating different segments, but they're not good for email because they're not people that wanted to get your email. Now it's not illegal. I will make sure that everyone understands that too, as well. It's not illegal to get these lists and it's not illegal to use these lists because in, in the, at least in the United States, we're an out infrastructure. And what that means as the email side is that everybody's email is available and you can email them, but you must give them the option to opt out and get out of those email cycles, right? And that doesn't mean that it's going to bode well for deliverability. No, it's going to bode well for sales. But just so there's clarity that it's not illegal, it's just really gray and frowned upon when you think about what you should be doing in e-commerce. No, I, I think that's a good kind of modifier so people understand the legality of that. I also kind of wanted to mention that the other problem I've, I've encountered in the past is that a large amount of my emails go unopened. Is there a way that Lane can help me optimize the open rate and conversion rate to actually turn that click into revenue? Yeah, you know, the age old question. You know, I think what you need to start with is understanding what an open is, right? An open is, an in, is not intent. It's just a signal that they've engaged with your email. However, in this day and world, there's two types of opens now, right? So there's the open of the actual person. They opened the email and they looked at it. That's the typical open. Secondly, now with a lot of these new devices, device changes, iOS, 16, uh, iOS 15 with the change with, um, with the mail privacy laws and the things that they're putting into place, those also fire opens as well too often. And what the, really the, the inherent problem with open is why it's flawed is people use that as a signal that people want to email. But to me, the click-through rate is what really matters, right? People need to read the email, connect with you and want to click and learn more. And those are the most important people on your list. So when you say, oh, I, you know, I've got a lot of people that open and don't open, right? I, I always go, well, that's, that's always great. And we should do our basic hygiene things. Like if they're not engaging with you know, emails for the last 90 days, for example, they're probably not going to engage with you in 91 days or 180 days in many cases. So you can probably go ahead and isolate those people. You can try win back campaigns towards those people. When they hit 90 days, you can say, throw them in this win back and say, hey, I'm deleting you off my list or I'm removing you off my newsletter. Or I'm no longer going to send you emails. And if you want to stay, click here. Otherwise, well, remember to me, it's like this email and SMS are both commodities you got to spend on them to, in order to use them. If you're going to be smart about it, you should be emailing and SMSing to people that want to receive your emails, not the people that are just inherently been on your list for a long time. So when I look at those opens and unopens, yeah, you can try to re-engage them with like a re-engagement strategy, for example, and try to, and be direct, right? Straight up, like I'm removing you from my list. If you want to stay, right? We're humans. We get it. Yes or no, right? I always say like, that's always like an easy way to get started with it. But ideally, this is something that, you know, I think I look even back as a D2C founder and stuff, like as a retailer, it's a hard thing to let go. You're like, well, they might really want my email now. And I'm like, no, they really don't. It's just been proven. They'll stay engaged with your brand if they're interested in your brand. And that's 
what they call customer life cycle. That's where that whole big fancy term customer life cycle. There's a start and there's an end to that life cycle. And everybody has an end to the life cycle. And you can think about yourself. What's a brand you used to buy a year ago that you probably don't buy anymore. And you probably stopped responding to their emails. It happens. It's just human life, right? It was your job, that, that brand's job to keep you engaged and warm and wanting those emails, but we all move on in something, right? So that's that's always an interesting thing. Like, you know, if you're a baby, baby sleepwear company, for example, well, your baby grows up eventually and your customer life cycle ends one day. Very simple, right? So your repeat buying cycle window is probably tighter and smaller than maybe a coffee company that's out there and selling this coffee that people love to drink for six years, you know, like over and over again. So unopens or people who aren't engaging, you should definitely try to get re-engagement. I always tell them two things. One, get some kind of re-engagement strategy put in place. I talked about that. And then two, you should use those that those data points. Just don't keep them to for emailing. Use them for advertising, right? Take those people, throw them back in the advertising funnel and say, hey, they're not engaged with my email. So they haven't purchased most likely or done anything with me in a while. What we know, they've pulled out their wallet in the past. So we should try to at least get them to re-engage on uh, an advertising chain. So that's another way to kind of approach it. Those are probably the two ways, but it's just natural part of business, right? There's a reason why they say an average open rate is somewhere, you know, depending on industry, 10, 12, 20, 25%, like that's the average window. That means at any given time, 75 to 90% of your audience is not listening to you. It's a numbers game at the end of the day. That's why you have large email lists, 10, 100,000 million, right? The larger that is, that ratio just opens up the number of people there. I think that's a refreshingly pragmatic approach and solution as I can imagine, you know, a lot of people come to you with these questions about open rates or something like that. And, and the reality is it's not going to be perfect. It's got to be, it's, there is a customer life cycle and eventually I'm going to be spending all my time, money and effort into someone who I'll never hit the sale. And it's just a waste of all that time, money and effort, you know? So it's okay to walk away, you know? Yeah, I I always say like traditional advertising, if I held a sign up in a big crowd and I stood in front of the crowd and held the sign up in front of everybody, how many of those people would pay attention? How many people would walk away? How many people would never care, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's the same thing, except the only difference with like an email list that's beautiful or an SMS list is they've at least said that they're interested. So you've got the first barrier done past the advertising. So it's a little bit better intent. However, those people might have said, I'm interested. No, nah, I'm really not. And I'm just walking away. Too lazy to check my email. Too lazy to unsubscribe. But I don't open your email, right? Yeah. Get rid of him. It's cost you money. Shouldn't be spending money on people that don't want to hear from you. Yeah, I totally understand and, and, and think you're totally right, Jimmy. In a more tactile way, is there kind of an understood frequency or way that I should be spending my or or sending my emails or like, you know, to avoid mm. people not opening them or thinking that they're spam. I probably shouldn't send people an email every single day, but I also feel like once a month might be too little. Is there kind of a certain balance there? Or I imagine it's definitely dependent on the client and the company as well. Yes. Uh, I love this topic because I always say something very interesting to start with. On the internet for some reason, and you know, I'm sure you'll feel this say a day on the internet is like, seven days in the real world. If you go to visit a store on Tuesday, you don't forget you visited that store, like walked into that retail store and like looked at products on a Tuesday next week. You have a different mentality. When you walk onto an e-commerce store, for example, you kind of forget after a day that you were on that store. I I guarantee you if everybody listening to this podcast will go, oh yeah, I did go there yesterday, but I forgot all about it, right? Like it's typical, right? So the age old era is how much, right? And here's my saying. I say that it is to your head. It is brand and everything, and it has everything to do with it. But I've seen, I have brands that email every day, and I have brands that email once a month. I will tell you flat out, Barnum, the brands that mail every day make a lot more money than brands that uh, make once a month. 
on email, right? Now, is there too extreme too much? Absolutely. But here's what I always say, and I'll start here and then I'll give you the tip. But first is you get to set the tone of the audience and how you're going to communicate to them and if they want to stay on that list. So if you want to email every day and you get them on your list and they opt in and you start emailing them every day and they're okay with it, they'll stay on your list, keep interacting, keep buying. Cool. But the people who hate it are going to leave, right? It's okay. That's You can't please the crowd, right? That's just how it works, right? However, with that being said, you know, it is probably a little bit too much to email someone every day, unless you're like a, you know, like a Groupon or like a Woot or something that's like a really like hard hitting, like daily deals type of site. Of course you have to email every day because you've got a new deal every day, right? So it really depends on that side of it. But to my side of it, I always tell customers this, try to email two to three times a week. That's a good cadence, right? Two to three times a week about your product, your sales, or different things that you might be doing. Make sure that you have your automated sequences happening up front and following that similar cadence up front. So if you've got automation for welcome flow, you should be making sure you're hitting them two to three times a week through that flow before they come out. So that makes sure that you are actually giving them the consistency behind because humans are of consistency and schedule. And we're used to things, right? We wake up at a certain time, we go to sleep at a certain time. This is creatures of habit for sure. Yes. So you play onto the creatures of habit. It's an emotional thing. If you tell them, I'm going to email you Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, eventually they'll expect on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, Jimmy's going to email me and that becomes habit. And so like, even at my store, at my store, my e-commerce brand, we used to mail three times a week, right? We'd out mail on Monday. Monday would be about the deals of the week. On Wednesday, we would do the teaser, I call it. So the teaser email was a pre-launch email to the product coming out on Friday, right? So we used to release every Friday. That was our like mantra, like release one small item every Friday. Don't do collections, right? So we were kind of doing that same idea. And so we would email Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And sometimes We'd be late on Friday. And it'd be hilarious if you're late on Friday. You start getting emails and uh, DMs like, hey, I didn't see your email. Did it go to spam? What's the deal this week? Oh, wow. What's going on? You know, because we trained our audience, right? Yeah. We trained them with consistency, right? We knew we dropped that email at midnight, 9 p.m. PST, midnight EST on Fridays. That was our like big announcement email. And everybody waited for that email so they can buy because we used to sell out within 24 to 48 hours often. So people were like frantically waiting for that, right? We trained our audience. So the the answer to your frequency is you get to set the cadence and tone based around your work. The only thing I ask you is that you stay consistent. I don't care how you decide to do it. Just be consistent about it. Don't decide to do it every day today and then go to once a week and then once a month. That doesn't work. Or don't try to do once a month now and then go straight down to once once a day. doesn't work. It's humans. You got to remember there's people on the other end. They're not just data and robots and email addresses. They're humans. And humans don't like disruptions or change too often. So you've got to soften it in and build the habit. And so that is how I say communication should happen based around what you're able to do, based around what you're comfortable to do, based around how you train your audience. And you should stick to that mantra and follow it through. And that's the most important way I look at this. That's beautiful. I can't believe you actually had like a, your audience was Pavlovian almost in terms of expecting their reward around that time period. I I think that's, that's really cool. I also think personally, I prefer receiving emails over text messages. Now, I know we haven't really talked about SMS much yet because probably I prefer receiving emails over text messages. From from your experience, have you actually seen better conversion rates between one and the other? So again, this is an interesting topic that people are starting to finally understand, I think, more and more. And we've been really trying to understand it because we can see a lot of data points. Here's the reality of things, which is really interesting. You know how I think it's very generational age demographic, background driven a little bit. Me, 
I'm an old millennial. That's what they call me. I'm 41, 42 almost. And like, it's, I'm an old millennial, right? That's what they call me. I like email, but I don't mind a little bit of text. I don't like being sold on text. I just like communicating with my friends, but I prefer email, right? That's my personal preference. But then I go talk to my 21-year-old business development uh, specialist at my company. And I ask her, hey, how do you like the, well, I have 4,000 emails because I never check my email, but all my texts are read. You're like, interesting, right? You start to realize that like, People will have different things. And like, again, going back to that, it's habitual, right? They are habitually, oh, this SMS is how we communicate now. This is how we do. This is their new version of email, their real-time email. So I always say that you need to, again, it's not a forced thing. It's a, do you want it this way or do you want it that way? And what I think in the future is going to happen more and more is there's a subset of your audience that always will just get emails and there's a subset that get SMS. You'll try to hybrid them sometimes, but reality is, is that the main channels will happen there. So to your question, Yes, we see buying habits on both sides. It's actually kind of wild. You just see a different subset of users that buy from SMS versus a different subset of users that buy from email. Again, it's humans, right? I don't trust buying off SMS. You probably don't either, but there's plenty of people that'll click and reply and want to buy right away. Have you seen maybe maybe data support this hypothesis we're coming up with? I mean, it, it sounds to me that like you're, you know, 40-year-old kind of cusper and you can go either way on it. I'm 30 years old. So I'm like, you know, hard millennial. And I don't, I don't like the text messages. I think it feels like, I don't know, in a weird way, an invasion of my privacy compared yeah. to, I, I know people have my email and that's just going to happen. But then a, a Gen Zer will say, I don't check my email, give it to me over a text message. And I think it's interesting to see kind of three distinct, I don't know, understandings of how marketing can reach them. Does does the data kind of support that hypothesis a little bit? Yep, exactly. I mean, this isn't made up data. This is real data that you can see, you know, that we see on our side that is very clear by demographic fields, especially, you know, where we see it. It's really funny. It's the brands, right? So we take it differently. You take a brand that's demographics in their men's 40s, 50s, like clothes, right? And you look at a brand that's women's catered young 2018, you know, fast fashion brand, right? You can just see the difference in revenue and the way that they're creating their revenue where SMS is bigger. And this side on the young, younger generation, SMS is what generates most revenue where on uh, older brands, email is generating more revenue. So you can literally see it on the brand side. You can see it on the demographic side. You know, when you look at the age grouping, it's very similar there too. So it's pretty interesting. And it doesn't mean there's not outliers. I know they're going to be like, well, sure. I'm 48 and I buy on text. And I'm like, well, yeah, we all have outliers, but the general broad group, the general broad audience in the world, that's just how they think. And that's okay. It's just the next medium of channel. And there'll be another one in the next 10 years, I'm sure. You know, email, SMS. We've got already 500 other apps, mobile apps that we can use, right, to talk to each other. It just gets more and more diverse. And ultimately, Alex, the biggest thing I always say is you need to be where your customers are at. If your customers want to be talking to you through text, you got to talk to them in text. They want to talk on email. They want to talk on Facebook, Telegram, you know, wherever the heck they want to be on. That's where you got to be, right? That's the way yeah. the digital world works. They expect you to be on. And that's the big thing I say is your customers expect you to be on a lot of channels now. It's more speaking about these other apps and different programs and stuff like that. Yeah. Have you, I know on your website, you talk about kind of the difference between Sendlane and other companies. And personally in the past, I've used MailChimp and I've had conflicting mm -hmm. results with it. Sometimes it's really smooth and great. Other times I feel like it wasn't as customizable as I wanted it to be. I always ended up making my own email and then putting it through there and their templates weren't yada, yada, yada. What are some of the main differences between Sendlane and MailChimp when it comes to 
mail and SMS. Yeah. So MailChimp's great for when you're starting, like when you're starting like brand spanking new and you, you don't have really a business formation, product market fits, not quite solved yet. You're still really trying to figure things out. It's actually a great tool because you don't need all the advanced analytics and you don't need all these advanced things that happen. Where Sendlane starts, starts to step in is when you've got some traction behind your store and your business, right? You've got some traction, you've got some motions, uh, you need deeper data, right? So first things first, you're just going to have a different level of data where MailChimp's going to give you their basic points of data. We're giving you hundred points of actual data, right? So like things like that. And then like, you know, your triggers, right? E-commerce on one side, uh, on MailChimp, you, you know, typical, they welcome and the, the, but where Sendlane, your specific, I purchased product A and I shipped it and that creates a trigger, right? Again, true personalization, right? More automation, more depth of tools. So the tooling is very different in that subset of things, right? Like it's very much a, I can get started and do the things I need to do, or I can, here is my real, like true, like grown up product that's going to help my actual store grow through revenue and create retention. Because they say 20 to 30% of your revenue should come from your retention marketing, right? So your email and SMS program should be generating 20 to 30% of your future business. So if that's the case, you need a right tool to do that. So Sendlane, I mean, in the easiest sense is we're just kind of next evolution. We're what you grow up into. Uh, and you just, and some people are already grown up enough to be able to use the tool right away, but a lot of people don't even have the sophistication of understanding the basics. So you go to MailChimp to learn the basics, you get your training wheels on, you get working, but then when you're ready to move and you're ready to actually scale your business, it's not going to be the supportive product for you. It's going to move on. I mean, even they address it. They're an SMB platform. They care about the little guys, mom and pops and a brick and mortar. And again, a lot of companies will be just fine on that product. But when you start getting serious and scale, you can't stay on a product like that. Sure. And what I'm hearing you say, Jimmy, is that they're better for kind of like growth and you guys are more designed for growth and retention because, okay, Correct. I appreciate that. And and what sort of success rate or you know conversion rates have you seen in terms of the broad effectiveness that clients see when they use Sendlane? Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of tapped on it. So we, we aim to see our clients. I mean, we see clients at 40, 50% of the revenue, okay. but like generally average speaking, 20 to 30% is where we like to try to see our customers. That means that your automated series are generating you money on autopilot all day long. That means that your abandoned carts are firing and recovering sales. Your welcome emails are creating repeat customers. Your campaigns are driving sales and all that stuff. So we want to say, if you're making a hundred grand, 20 to 30 grand of that every month should have been generated out of Sendlane, meaning the, the communication and the automations would be able to, able to show that. And we track and attribute that. So we use a three-day click window and in three days that they click on an email and make a purchase, then we get to go and say, hey, we helped you make that revenue, right? We supported that revenue through indirectly or indirectly, we attribute to that. And that number should be 20 to 30%. So that's the number that we say that people should be aiming for. Again, again, outliers will be out there. I make 80%, 60%, 100%. That happens as well too. So uh, it just really depends on your brand, but 2030 should be your golden star. If you're doing those numbers, then just keep scaling it. If you're not doing those numbers, work towards it. And working towards it is just simply utilizing the tool a lot better. And that's great that you guys help track that. I feel like a lot of companies, especially smaller ones, have a, a great time starting to grow, starting to scale a little bit but not always necessarily knowing where their revenue is coming from in terms of they, they know the marketing's working. I don't know what's working better than others, but I think that's something that is impressive in terms of y'all being able to do that for your, your clients or the companies that you work with. So you could immediately tie, you know, this money came from this, you know? Yeah. We like to show the ROI. It's important that they say, Hey, you spend $500 a month on our app, but you generate $80,000 a month. Like, 
we're doing well for you. I promise. You know, we're not the ones to cut when you're thinking about a budget cut. We're probably the last company you cut. So that's also been, um, you know, important for most companies because without us, you can't talk to your customers. Well, I wanted to move the conversation a bit toward kind of the trends that you might see in email and SMS marketing. So it seems that email and SMS has kind of replaced old school telemarketing, like cold calling and snail mail in terms of effectiveness. I, I still receive both of those, but definitely not at the frequency with which I get emails. I don't, again, I mentioned I don't opt into SMS, but I get a lot of emails. That seems like the, the forefront. Um, have you seen an increase or decrease in the total total effectiveness of email and SMS marketing over time? And more broadly, where's the marketing trend headed? You know, that's a that's a fantastic question. Um, I would say that because we keep seeing the rise of e-commerce and the continuous growth in that market, it's really hard to measure that because we also see that continuous increase just like them. So my answer would be, I don't think it's ineffective. I think it's the pinnacle or the most important of uh, what it comes down to. It's the easiest and it's also the most cost-effective ways to create that bubble. You know, there are other options out there, of course, like you know, postcards and different things that are out there. And again, subset of audience always depends on your background, right? If you're catering to 60 plus year old seniors on hearing aids, they might do much better on a postcard than they might do on a website, right? It's hard to say that, but I will say that I think the trend in my opinion is it just continues to grow, but it goes back to that focus. It's not email and SMS. It's where they want to live. So that could be that email. I will say SMS will, uh, I think will continue to evolve. I think that to your point, the evasiveness is really important. Like you're feeling it. It's why that like iOS 16, for example, right now in like India and Brazil, they're testing the promotional box on it, right? So you'll actually have a tab. This is promotional. And if you want to look at it, you'll go look at it, but probably not because it sounds like you don't like it. So, but some Mm -hmm. people would like it, right? Some people like the promotional box, just like your Gmail and everything else, right? I think the evolution is that it's going to it's going to entail a little bit of privacy it's going to entail more barriers to get to it but again more people will have to want it right it's just being better at being better at creating your community or connection with your customer is going to be more and more important that's all it is really and personalization right when you walk into a store alex and you walk in and you shop there all the time you like feeling like you're welcome there you've got to start creating that experience and that in real life experience on the internet and that's where i think a lot of the e-commerce entrepreneurs in the world are really trying to solve right now in, in this world. I'm glad you mentioned that because I think that that is one of my bigger turn offs to, you know, broad scaled marketing is I feel like a number, you know, when I, when I walk yeah. into a store, even if it's an online store and someone's like, Hey, how's it going? How can I help you? That makes me feel good. It makes me feel like I'm not just a data point to people. So I think when I'm, I'm broad stroke delivered emails where it's like, they don't, they, they just want my money. They don't really care about it. What, what, what sort of, you know, solution of mine, their problem of mine, they're trying to solve. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Absolutely. I come generally from like a TV background and that's something that's a huge passion of mine. And, and, and essentially for the very first year, streaming TV viewership has surpassed cable TV viewership. And with streaming, there's clearly fewer advertisements. So I think that with the proliferation of streaming, there's then automatically a decrease in marketing costs for television ads on on cable and broadcast. Do you think that companies are looking into digital marketing like email and SMS because they have this chunk of money that they can't spend anymore because it's not going to be as lucrative? Does that then drive people into doing something more like this? 
Yeah, you know, that's a great question. You know, I'm going to start with a little bit of a controversial statement in my mind. I don't think it's digital marketing anymore. It's just marketing mm. now. You're just expected to be online. You're expected to be on, on radio. You're expected to be all. It's just another channel of your marketing effort, right? So I, I always say like, this is just marketing now, guys. We're all going to be online. Everybody's online now. You have to be online to be able to communicate. And that will include TV and billboards and you know radio, all of this, podcasts. I mean, all of this, right? Podcast is the modern radio, right? On-demand podcasts and streaming. So I think what people are starting to realize is that it's a entire, what we call the customer experience. Like you show TV ads, right? Or streaming ads to get people aware of your site. Then they eventually visit your website. From your website, your advertising starts retargeting them. The pop-ups try to collect their email address and eventually you nurture them into a purchase, right? Like I think budgets don't change. I think budgets are now, they're starting, people are shifting their mind and realizing that my budget can't be just for one little thing. It has to be broadly used in order to make sure that the entire cycle is filled. You can spend all your money on Facebook and nothing else, and you won't create much results because you need to use the other places. Like you use Facebook, you got to use Google, right? You, can, you can't just advertise here. You've got to use search engine to make sure that when they're on Google searching for that actual product that you get in front of them first, right? So like, and inherently, I would say everything needs to tie together more than ever. Totally. So I would say that not the budgets are shifting. I think the budgets are being used better, in my opinion. They're no longer blowing you know, $50,000 on TV. They're spending maybe $10,000 on TV, and they're using the $40,000 on some Facebook and YouTube ads, for example, or some streaming ads or different things that you know would be a, a different chance or TikTok or anywhere else, right? And I think personally that there is a proliferation of advertising or marketing everywhere. It's definitely more accessible. It used to just be, you know, TV, radio, phone calls, snail mail. And now it's all of that stuff plus podcasts, social media, email, SMS. Do you think there's too much of a good thing when it comes to that? I mean, can you over can you over market? I know for me personally as a consumer, there's some companies that I actively will never use because they're so annoying to me at, at, at times. Is is that something that you felt or, or understood? Am I alone in that feeling? I guess is, is kind of my question. I think you're exactly, you know, it's just saying you don't have alignment to the brand. Whatever brand that was that you feel annoyed with means you didn't believe in the brand, you didn't love the brand, or you didn't want to be a part of it. So you leaving and unsubscribing is the right motion, in my opinion, right? Like, so I think that just comes with being able to connect with you and understand you. Maybe they could have asked a question up front, like, hey, we do communication. How do you like to be communicated? Or how often do you like to be communicated? Asking people, right? And trying to understand how that could work. But ultimately, I'll say like, at the end of the day, it goes all the way back to the thing. Your, your brand, you do what you want to do and people will either follow or they'll drop off and leave. And that's kind of part of the community building side of things. Totally agree with you. I wanted to kind of wrap up the trends and move into, into your website, actually. So I, I do a lot of these interviews. Sure. And when I was looking at you guys and your website, I was pretty impressed with the general scope of it while it all still being pretty detailed with which it was designed and the information is provided. I felt it was digestible while also not feeling like I was just being bombarded with information. How important to you is, is website design when creating a business or should the product and services oh. kind of just speak for themselves? I know other people just, they do the bare, bare minimum and say, call us. We want to talk to you. It's, it's a case by case basis type of thing. Or is, you know, is that delivery method of a website 
super important. I think this goes to a personal side of preference and belief, but I believe the way that you are presenting yourself in the world through your website and through that's really it, really your website and your social media is the way that people perceive you and value you as well too. So to me, our website needs to be amazing. It needs to really exemplify who we are, what we do, teach you, talk to you. It needs to talk to my end user the way it needs to be able to be digested. And then ultimately, the other side of that application better deliver at the same level as your website is presenting. If I go to an ugly website, I'm assuming the app is ugly too, right behind it. Never would think any yeah. differently, right? You know, you kind of do, we're humans. We judge the book by the cover. I know you're not supposed to do that, but that is how humans minds work, especially, you know, just that's just nature, right? Human nature. So uh, I think that that's always something that people over underestimate. Oh, well, it doesn't have to be super. Actually, it matters. It really does matter. So I do agree. And that website should tie with the way your emails look, the way your language works. So like we have a lot of things, like even our languaging and the way that we talk on here, everything we send, everything we go out into the market with, we match that energy and language because that's important to us because that's how we want to be heard in the market. So how you feel, how you look. I mean, it's it's basically all hit tapping all the emotions again. Uh, no, no different than uh, anything else. It's like, how do you look? How do you feel? How do you sound? How do you seem? Like those are the things that people are thinking about when they're looking at your website. They're putting a person, not a real person, but a person or an avatar of what they would believe that person and who they are on the other side. Does that make sense? Like that's how the mind works. I think it totally makes sense that actually hearing you explain it, it reminds me of say you're walking down the street and the first thing that you notice about someone is how they dress generally Correct. is, is how they yep. dress. And then you immediately think that person's a businessman. That person looks shaggy, you know, well, whatever it is, those are our very first judgments. And my mom used to say two quotes all the time. And that was um, dress for the job you want, not the job you have. And you never know when you're going to meet the president. So I think both of those kind of apply in website um, design because you never know who's going to visit your website and you want to make the best first impression possible is, is what I'm hearing you say, Jimmy. 100%. Yeah. I mean, we all we all want to explode and do great things in the world, right? We all want to be big businesses. Well, that right person visits your website, loves it, wants to buy your company or wants to buy a shit ton of the supply, whatever it might be, right? Like there's a lot of reasons why you need to present yourself to the best of your ability at all times. So I do, I do agree investing in it more than ever, by the way, because that's how you stand out these days. Otherwise, you're in a plethora of millions and millions of websites and visits and things that you're being targeted with. How do you leave that lasting impression? That's what you need to do. I totally agree, man. And, and one of the things that I, I noticed when I was looking at your website was your upper management team is actually pretty diverse. You know, I, I've done some of these podcasts and I've looked at a lot of websites where the team is generally a bunch of similar looking people. And, <laughs> and sometimes it's, it's, it's generally a bunch of, you know, white cis male guys in a certain age bracket or, or whatever. But it was refreshing looking at yours and being like, these all look like very different people. And I think the, the main things that I saw there was age and gender, um, ethnicity as well was more specifically was hiring a diverse team a conscientious choice on your part, or was that actually just, it just happened that way? Yeah. So I always laugh. This is actually great. When, even when we go back to when the pandemic started and everyone, uh, you know, D and I, and everything started becoming more and more important, I kind of chuckled because I was like, what do we need to do? We are already a diverse team. We've always been right. Like the number one answer Alex to you is I hire the best person for the job. I don't care what they look like. I don't care who they are, what their background is, their age. None of that matters. What I care about is, can you help us get this mission done? And are you the best person for that job? So for us, 
It was not intentional. We just hire the best people we can hire for the company. And they happen to be a different people. I have no idea, but, you know, obviously I start with not being a, you know, the similar white male. So I didn't, you know, like that doesn't fall on me. I think it's just a choice. I look at the lens differently, I guess, maybe when I look out into the world too. But what's funny is most of these people on this list, I, I recruited, like I went out and found people that I saw based on their background in the LinkedIn and different things that I really liked about them that I th- believe they could help my business come and grow. That's who I went out and uh, brought in. And if you look at that, I mean, everybody in the company, 10-year average, probably like three years on, on all that leadership there. So, you know, it's a good group of people and it all falls with the culture, man. Like we have a very simple culture, man. And it starts with one thing. We have a no a-hole rule and no one's an a-hole in this company, right? And that is what drives a good culture. Yeah. Everything else is whatever, right? So uh, that's that's the way that I kind of present and say, like, we've done a great job there and it's not like we intentionally did it. But I'm proud that it is like that because it really shows who the company is. I agree. And I think I think it, it turns into a blessing in disguise at times too, because the more I have found from my experience, the more diverse your team can be, the more diverse the solutions can be, the perspectives. Yep. You know, uh, when, when you have someone who is, you know, 21 years old, talking to someone who is 60 years old, they'll have different approaches to a problem. And that's just multiple solutions that you can look at at the end of the day. Yep. Absolutely. hundred percent. And they, the different diversities also come with different understandings, growings, backgrounds, and everything else that comes with it. And these are the folks that align with us and the way that we like to think about it. So they've been awesome. And yeah, I, I appreciate the call out there. It's a, it's, a, it's a proud thing about our company, but we never talk about it because to me, actions are louder than words with these things. We just do what we do. And that's what it looks like. Even as a company, we're 45% female as a company. So in tech, average is like 25%. Yeah. And again, not intentional. We hired the best people we could find for the job, but we're 45%. I saw that stat and said, whoa, I wasn't trying to do that, but that's great, right? Like, I want to be proud to be able to stand and say, hey, like, we're almost a 50-50 company, women to male. I think that's extremely impressive. Have you ever considered doing any sort of advocacy for diversity like that? Again, it, it sounds like yeah. you're not really interested. That's just that's just the way that it that, That's the honest answer is I'm not interested. I yeah. just do the things that are supposed to be best for the business and to best to move forward. And it spits out a great diverse company. I love and that's it, what attracts. I mean, that's, and then it attracts diverse people into our company because they're like, well, this company is diverse. I, this is a great fit, you know? So it's in, interesting. So yeah, I, I would say I'm not actually interested in talking. Like this is probably the first time I've ever talked about it on anything. <laughs> like we just don't, we just don't because we believe we do what we need to do best. It's definitely paying off. The very last question I, I always ask in these interviews is an e-commerce role. That's generally a 24 seven job. You actually mentioned on, on your website, 24 seven, 365, but I'm also an advocate for mental health stability. And I know that this can be a stressful and, uh, industry. So with that said, what do you do in your free time to retain your sanity? Hobbies, <laughs> interests, stuff like that. Sure. Um, so I do three things. I would, I would I'd narrow down the three things I do every all the time. So one, obviously my family and my kids, right? I've got two little ones. I've got a five and a three-year-old. So they occupy a lot of my time. If I'm not doing that, I'm usually uh, wrenching on a car. So I have cool. a background in automotive a bit. So currently my project is a 1995 uh, Nissan GTR that I imported from Japan that I've been working on. So, you know, cool little fun project uh, that I work on. And then the third one I, I would say is that I also, if I always say, if I didn't start a business, if I wasn't successful here, I'd probably be playing poker full time. So uh, that actually is cool. my other hobby as well, too. So I play a lot of poker. I would say I'm somewhat decent. I'm not the greatest anymore because I would say that I've 
fallen out of practice because there's this whole thing called business that takes up a lot more of my time these days. But I've been playing since 1999 and, uh, you know, really just love the love the game of poker. So those are probably my three things I do when I'm not working. But honestly, I work a lot. So, you know, there's nothing I can say about that. But that's just my love. Right. It's not because I have to work. It's because I want to work. That's cool. Those are those are some things I haven't haven't heard, you know, and frankly, business is a gamble. So it, it makes a bit of sense at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Poker and business is basically the same thing. I'm, I, I throw my bluffs at people all the time and sometimes I get called. Right. And I'm like, whoops, but sometimes it works. Right. Kind of part of it, I guess the risk side of the entrepreneur side, it kind of makes sense. Like you're, you've got to be non-risk averse. You got to be risky as a person to be an entrepreneur. So confidence is key, man. Well, I really appreciate your time, Jimmy. This has been a blast and good luck with your company. And until next time, my friend, thanks. All right. Thanks, Alex. I'd like to thank my guest, Jimmy Kim, for joining me on the show and tune in Thursday when I sit down with NJ Falk, the managing partner of Athletic Propulsion Labs, when we talk about networking, what makes a good pitch, strategic advising, and much more. For more information about Jimmy, you can connect with him on LinkedIn or follow him on Twitter at YoJimmyKim. To learn more about SendLane, you can check out their website, SendLane.com, or listen to their podcast called The E-Commerce Hustle, wherever you get your podcasts. That's our show. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you come back to find new episodes now being published twice a week, every Tuesday and Thursday. Until next time.